Welcome to the Daily Bolster. Each day we welcome transformational executives to share their real-world experiences and practical advice about scaling yourself, your team, and your business. Welcome to the Daily Bolster. I'm Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster. And today we are here in deep with Sharice Hawkins. Uh, Sharice is the founder and uh, CEO of PageDip. And she is, um, by her own branding, a corporate escapee, which we will get back to in a couple of minutes. But Sharice, um, nice to have you here. Welcome to the Daily Bolster. Nice to be here. Um, let's start by telling everyone what PageDip is. PageDip is a way to create interactive, engaging, but most importantly, measurable documentation. And we help people um, improve their sales outcomes by being able to measure the efficacy of their content. Um, that sounds really interesting. Give me a use case. Um, a great use case is either ESG reports where people want to understand how uh, those are, are uh, performing or helping account executives for SaaS companies improve their sales playbooks and improve their uh, revenue outcomes. Um, both of those are high impact uh, in very, very different ways. And, uh, um, you know, certainly the the SaaS, enterprise SaaS selling, which is a field that I know really well. If you have a product that's going to improve the velocity of enterprise SaaS selling, you have a very, very good product. So um, I am uh, I am glad that PageDip exists and that you're doing your thing there. Thank you. We're really excited about it. And like a lot of uh, startups, um, that wasn't our first use case, but it turned out to be you know the goldmine for both us and really making a difference for our customers. So let's come back to that um, because <laughs> figuring out what your product market fit is and pivoting is um, is a great topic. Uh, but I'd love to start real quickly with your journey. Um, you know, real quickly, what's uh, what's sort of the the arc of your career? We can get then at the end of it to the founder journey after you started PageDip. Yeah. How did you get where you got, and why do you call yourself a corporate escapee? Yeah, I think I coined that term. I'm going to claim I coined that term because I've been talking it. about yeah. it for a long time. Um, I'm an engineer and technologist by degree, and, and I think in ones and zeros. So I got a couple of engineering degrees and went straight into corporate America. I worked as a Disney Imagineer, designing theme parks around the globe. Um, I worked um, it, with video systems, and then I worked at Time Warner Cable, leading up their um, their you know software development group. And so and I, I had. Really... I remember when I when I met you, you were you were in that last job. Yes. Uh, right. You yes. had a, a huge number of engineers reporting to you. Right. Uh, right. I've always thought we were that, doing amazing things. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that Imagineer is probably the best job title ever. Uh, <laughs> I have to agree with you. <laughs> and designing theme parks is pretty cool. Yes. Uh, how did you get from that into software development? Oh, every path is circuitous, right? Um, I uh, worked as, as the Imagineer. And the thing about being an Imagineer is you're taking, you know, usually off-the-shelf equipment and technology and you're applying it in a really unique and creative way. Um, and I, I'm one of those people that's a little crazy. I believe that engineering is one of the most creative jobs on the planet. And I think we should talk about it sure. in that way. Yeah. But it taught me that, you know, anything is possible and um, just had some great experience. It's also hard. It's also very hard to get things to work in unusual ways. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's but, the most, um, what's the sort of most interesting or, or fun thing that you worked on at Disney? Um, I will, I'll pose a, 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 an open-ended question. There was a, a project that didn't actually turn into a, an attraction, but the problem was having to have the ceiling fall like every, I don't know, couple of minutes and then rebuild itself. 
And so those are the kind of things that, you know, you get on paper and you're like, well, how are we going to do that from an engineering standpoint? And we figured out a way to do that. So um, just just really creative, um, uh, unusual problems to solve. It was a great it was a great experience. Um, and that led me into more show design and, and, and ride design. And that naturally um, kind of led into an interest in video. And so my next job after, after Disney was working for a company called Harmonic that did um, digital encryption for video streams and large equipment rooms. And from there, uh, one of we sold to Time Warner Cable and then they recruited me to, to work for them. And, and then I started becoming into more of a leadership role and, um, and, and taking more of the corporate you know, technical leadership path, which was a great experience. We got to deploy to millions of people and start from a white sheet of paper and develop something completely new. I think that's where the, the entrepreneurial bug first started, that whole idea of starting from nothing and then developing something that, you know, got deployed to a lot of people. Yeah, although as you say, like being a, being an engineer and, and an imagineer is an inherently creative job as well. So yes, um, yes. so at the peak at Time Warner, how big was your engineering team that you that you led? Oh my gosh, um, I know I had twelve direct reports, and then oh, wow. for you know how many people were underneath them, how many how many um, engineers and and testers. I don't, I'm sure it was over 150, but I, I really don't know the total number. Um, and what that also taught me was 12 is my favorite number of having a team of 12. is like, the, it's not too big. It's not too small. You can get a lot of things done. You can move pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so that was another little lesson that I've applied to, you know, career part two. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I know different you know different leaders are comfortable with different spans of control, and and um, yeah, for some people, twelve is way too many. Uh, mm -hmm. I I also like having a, a bigger team because it means that I'm sort of closer to the uh, closer to the action. Um, yeah, fewer layers. Yeah. So yeah, a dozen. Um, you know, it's an, it's a good number. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So let's continue. So you're at Time Warner. You're there for about mm -hmm. ten years, right? Yes. You're yes. Running, you're running a giant engineering team. What gives you the bug to start something? And what did you start? Well, this is the part where um, people think I'm crazy. My husband still was in a little bit of dismay because you imagine I'm, I've got this great team. I'm literally sitting in a corner office. It was one of those like out of the movie things, um, the you know great benefits. And I, what you know the, the theme of all this as we're talking is um, I like to start new things. And so once the product that we worked on for for ten years. Um, was out in the, in the marketplace and it was at steady state and it, we were sort of making improvements to it. That's not the place that I get the most excitement and joy, even though on paper, everything was, was the perfect job. Um, and so that's where I get antsy and I wanted to do so. I wanted to start again. Um, and so much to my husband's dismay on Friday the 13th, I, I put in my notice and I didn't have a really specific plan. I just knew it was time to, to do the next thing. And um, there was also some phenomenal opportunities when you know, kind of a, a full uh, class of us left our executive roles, and then a whole new generation of people got to, you know, kind of move up into the ranks and, and take the company to the next level. So all of that felt really good, but also incredibly scary. Incredibly scary. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, you're you're in theory, that's as stable a, a job as you get, and a comparative yes. job, and everything else. So. <laughs> Yes. Um, yes. Well, just curious, what was the 10 year project? Like, what was the project that was? So, um, 
most people, including myself, have cut the cord from cable now. But at that time, remember, this is quite a long time ago, um, the software that's inside the cable boxes that allow you to record record shows and to deal with daylight savings time, all of the stuff, all the interfaces that you have when you're yeah. looking at, when you're watching uh, TV, we we built that from scratch. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Talk about a mission critical system for most people, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, all right. So you, so you have the entrepreneurial bug, you leave the stability of Time Warner. How'd you get to page dip? Or you had a different name at the beginning, right? We had a different name at the beginning. I, I say we did four, one major pivot and four micro pivots to get mm. to where we are today. Um, the first idea was around um, adding interactivity to published long form content like eBooks. Um, and again, this was a while ago. So um, eBooks were, um, I wouldn't call it a novelty, but they they definitely, they were it was time for them to, to you know become a little bit more exciting. Um, and we had a really fantastic, so we developed some software that allowed us to pr produce interactive eBooks, um, embed eBooks with a lot of different um, media components and uh, really cool, really cool um, elements. Um, and, you know, allow people to publish those on the major um, platforms. What I didn't know is how challenging the publishing industry is. Mm. Um, you know, the margins there, uh, the, you know, how difficult it is to be innovative in a, in certain uh, markets. I was going to say, having published a few books, it is a, it is like a very entrenched, slow the moving, word. yeah, uh, yeah, non uh, contemporary. Uh, yes, <laughs> you're finding some great adjectives. Yes, but what it meant for us is after our first book won a major award at a book show, I came back and realized that we had, we'd made no money. I'm like, okay, this was fun and was very creative, but this is not a business. Right. Um, and luckily we had a, another customer, a potential customer met us at the book show, said, I want to apply that technology to a completely different use case, more of a business use case. Uh, we did some, some co-creation, some co-development with them. And that was uh, the first small pivot towards more business uh, content and content that um, is tied to revenue in some way. Interesting. So it's a, so a different use case, but really, if I think about what you do today and what you originally started, it's a very similar theme, right? Yes. Making yes. digital content, uh, you know, turning it from static to dynamic and doing the measurement around it and everything else. Yes. A completely different use case. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The technology is more like a cousin. The business case is more like another planet, another universe. <laughs> right. Um, so when did you start the company? We started the company in 2014, 2013, into okay. very into 2013. Yes. So coming on 10 years this year. Coming on 10 years. So so yeah. this is the, the longest time I've held one job. We, we are now <laughs> in that realm. Um, but I think about it in terms of really having three companies because of how we pivoted. So PageDip itself is about seven years old, six years old. Yeah, it is funny. I, I've tried to explain this to other people before. Like you can have the same business card for years and years and years, you know, founder and CEO of whatever, and feel like you've had five different jobs. Oh my gosh. Uh, Absolutely. You know, or even in your case, maybe feel like you've worked for a, a couple of different companies. Yes. Yeah. So um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about the transition from big company to small company. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it took a lot of courage to leave and to start something. Um, what was that transition like? Like what skills were transferable? Which ones weren't? 
what did you have to learn? What did you have to relearn? Um, what do you wish you had known ahead of time? Oh Any my gosh, <laughs> those are all really great questions. What I wish I'd learned, what, what I wish I'd known be ahead of time is when you're in a big company, you have a lot of support systems, yeah. a lot of support systems, not to, not to mention, you know, your own personal assistant in some cases. And so um, the amount of energy that I put into ops right now, even though I have support in that area, um, still surprises me. So um, that was that was the first thing. Um, the the leadership skills were certainly directly transferable and, and i i'm in kind of a different breed i started my entrepreneurial journey after having a corporate experience and a lot of leadership uh, background and and you know bringing products to market i think there's some advantages to learning those things in a, an environment where you've got a lot of support and you you aren't worried about payroll and you're able to go to some you know fantastic leadership opportunities so I think in some ways um, it's a good strategy to go and and kind of earn your chops, understand budgets and have to balance a really big budget that's somebody else's <laughs> uh, to, you know, to really get that experience. So I'm thankful for that. Um, I think, you know, everyone tells you that uh, your first idea isn't your best one is from an entrepreneurial standpoint. They talk about product market fit. They talk about being aware of cash flow, um, but you can't really appreciate all of those things in theory until you've lived them. And so just that there's on the job training that comes along with being an entrepreneur that you can't, you just can't learn in school. You can't practice. Um, and so it felt a little bit like when I, um, when I, you know, was a, a good skier and I tried to snowboard, you get a, you're like, I know how to, I know how to come down a mountain, but it's different. <laughs> those two things are very different. Yeah. <laughs> so I wish that um, I sort of appreciated uh, having to have that beginner's mind again. Yeah, I and mean, not not you know having some conflict in my own psyche about that. What what's an example of something you've had to unlearn or or relearn? Um, I love being you know quick and agile, and I kind of suppress that in corporate because you know you have to do things by a certain process, and so um, I'm Alex and I would you know change a presentation or make modifications in the car on the way into having the presentation with a customer or writing code, like just the idea of being really, really fluid and, and fast. Um, I really, really enjoy that even to this day. And I think that's one of the things that why we've got amazing customers um, and some really large um, organizations that we work with, because that's the kind of thing that you can't do in corporate, but you can really exploit. It can be a little stressful, you know, if something's not working at the last minute and you're, but there's a little bit of power and freedom associated with it that I really, yeah. really like. How did you do with the um, the transition around, um, I guess what I would call sort of scrappiness in engineering or um, MVP, right? So you go from leading a team of hundreds of engineers mm -hmm. putting software in cable boxes. There's no room for error. Yes. Right? Those things, like it's, it, it's not quite the same as, as, you know, programming a rocket to go to the moon, but it's there, it has to be bulletproof. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing you do, you're probably writing your own code or you have one engineer working with you and you're just trying to get something out the door, MVP. Yeah. Like yeah. how did your brain make that leap? Well, um, having some small wins in the beginning certainly helped. And there was a particular piece of interactivity that we put into eBooks that if you read all the forms, I said, that's not possible. 
and we did it. And I can, I'll never forget, um, we had a little iPad, iPad when they were first came out and we had this interactivity uh, working and we were talking to somebody at a book show and we said, you know, we've got this way to be able to, you know, touch on a word and have it expand and do these things. I'm like, well, that's not possible. And we literally pulled out the iPad and said, well, here it is. Um, and the joy of being able to um, push the boundaries and and try things. And we only figured that out because we just kept trying unorthodox ways of manipulating an EPUB file. Like we just kept, it's one of those, like we didn't know any better because we didn't come from that industry. So we just kept trying. And that there's a high associated with that that keeps you going. Um, that kind of overcomes the the fear of not having the, the Gantt chart project plan like I was used to in past life. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is definitely a different world. So, uh, would you ever go back? Like, let's say PageDip, you know, is incredibly successful. Adobe Adobe acquires you. Or <laughs> someone big acquires you. You find and they say, oh, you know, Sharice, we want you to be, you know, the SVP of blah blah blah. Here, yeah. Make your home here for the next five or ten years. Is that? Do you do that, or are you like, no, I couldn't possibly think about that again. I think because I had so many years in corporate, I think I, I I would be a chameleon and I think I would enjoy, again, you can see there's the grass is green on both sides. So you could yeah. see where you could bring that entrepreneurial spirit, that um, agility, some creative problem solving, um, but also have, you know, a great bonus structure or 401k, whatever it is, right. um, and be able to help people even at a larger scale or internationally. So I'm, I'm not one of the people that says, oh, I'm not employable anymore. I think it would be a fun challenge. Um, and to, to bring that kind of entrepreneurial energy, which, which I think um, employees in large corporations really appreciate, like they're kind of um, hungering for that. So I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, have to wind the clock forward a few years and see. Um, all right, so let's um, let's back up again to the the minute you decided to uh, become a founder, uh, to become a CEO. So it sounds like that was one to one extent. It was driven by okay, it's the right time for me to leave Big Co. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have a specific idea, um, but you knew you wanted to do something creative. Um, there are lots of things you could have done in life besides found a, a company. Mm -hmm. um, why was that where you went? Um, one thing I want to mention, especially for maybe women founders or people that feel like they are, um, uh, I don't want to say caregivers, but have other you know roles. Um, one of the things for me, I really wanted to make sure that my daughter's five twenty nine was was funded. Now it sounds like such a weird tactical decision point, but for me, it was really important that if I was going to go off and kind of follow this entrepreneurial dream, that I'd also, you know, put systems in place that I could feel comfortable with taking this risk. And I don't think we talk about that enough of what do you need to have in place for yourself, for your family, for your, whatever your ecosystem is, uh, to be able to take this. It's a wild ride. You, you strap in like a like sure. a roller coaster yeah. and there's, there's a lot of twists and turns and upside down parts, right? Yes, and very, um, very uh, limited cash generation for a number of years. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. So make sure you you figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I I'm an avid reader. I love words. I love um, you know how we communicate in different mediums. And I and that was actually a theme within my my career. If you think about it, from you know Disney through through video. So 
um, seeing the potential of what um, what digital content could look like, what long form you know text could look like, and just feeling like wow, there's a huge disconnect between what's possible and what's actually happening, kind of drove me to explore that more. Um, so it came out of a kind of a, a, a longing for what I wish the, there was in the in the world, um, and then it kind of went it went from there. And what about actually becoming a um, a CEO? Like what, what was sort of the, the motivation there? Was it that you wanted to run something? You wanted to lead other people? Um, yeah, I, I'm always been comfortable with, with being the leader. I'm, you know, when you do the group exercises, I was always the person like, well, let's, you know, I'll speak first, um, which I think is a little bit of a personality trait. But one thing that I've noticed, I'm not sure I'm answering your questions, but one thing I've noticed is I, be, I truly believe that we need to be, um, you know, come into being a CEO or entrepreneurial journey out of a, out of a, out of a position of uh, of serving. You know, is there a pain point to to help someone solve? Is there a, a need out there? And not from the ego place of oh, I want to be CEO or I want to be founder. Um, that's not very interesting or important to me. It's can I make a difference and make something better um, in in a really earnest way? And sometimes I think the media gets that wrong. You know, they, they make CEOs seem like these real egotistical, and some are, I guess, but egotistical, you know, self-driven um, individuals. And I come at our, our whole culture and our company, and I think bolsters the same is how can we really serve and make things, make make the world a little bit better? I, I think that's right. I mean, and it, it's about, for me, it, it was always about not just customers, but really employees. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I used to say when I started ReturnPath that ReturnPath could have done anything. We could have been in the insurance business. We could have been, you know, a retailer. Um, we ended up doing some really interesting stuff in, in marketing technology, but that, um, you know, part of why I wanted to start a business is I wanted to create a different kind of workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, really proud of the, the things we did there. So I, I'm with you. I think you, um, you know, if you if you become a founder and it's all about you or it's all about the money, it's a problem. If it's all about the customers, if it's all about your team, if it's all about making, as Steve Jobs said, the dent in the universe, yes. uh, you know, you're 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 certainly going to be a lot happier and and probably uh, do a better job. So your expectations will be a little bit more aligned with the job. The yeah. CEO job is not an easy one, and often it's not a fun one. Like yeah. it's not it's not as seen on TV. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yes, it's not all Shark Tank. No. <laughs> all right. So let me ask uh, you know, sort of one more question about page dip. Um, you said a few minutes ago that you did one big pivot and three little pivots along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little bit about one of them. Um, I think a lot of, uh, I, I think that the term pivot is probably a little misunderstood by founders. Um, and, uh, uh, and, I, and I think um, it's probably overused um, in the world of startups as well. So I'd love to hear you riff on that for a minute. So what did it, what did it mean to you to take a pivot? What, how big a shift was it? Um, you know, it sounded from your story, like you were led there by a customer or a prospective customer. Yes. Um, but yes. like, how did you, how did you know it was the right time to do something different? And, uh, you know, and how'd you go about executing a pivot? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that first customer that found us at the book show was, was a, it was literally a pivotal moment when they said, we have an idea for what, what we think you could help us with. And we've talked to Apple, we've talked to Microsoft and we, and we haven't found exactly what we're looking for. And we, it, and jointly we created exactly what they were, what they needed. And it was a fantastic, you know, champagne popping kind of project. Um, and, and then 
so we, we thought, okay, we've made it. We've got this, this fantastic customer. Um, it turns out that their use case was fantastic and we learned a lot and we were both very, very pleased with the outcome and it went, you know, internationally. However, they had a unique, uh, some characteristics that didn't make that particular use case as re reproducible as we assumed. Uh, so we had to, in some ways, a little bit go back to the drawing board. About the same time, COVID happened. And so like a lot of things shifted in terms of how people were consuming content and, and what they were willing to pay for. And um, so there's other dynamics that aren't always just around your technology. There's other outside factors that also uh, can impact your business. Um, and then when we discovered um, we, we were doing a number of different pilots, and as soon as we did this sales playbook pilot um, for the first customer and then the second customer and then the third customer, some consistencies of requirements came to be. Um, and we learned, we had refined our, uh, what we call granular analytics, so we can really understand what someone's doing in the document. And when people started using the results of those analytics to create a virtuous cycle and improve their content, we're like, ah, it's not a one-time thing. It's a living thing and it's a continuous thing. And um, we're seeing better results because of this concept of granular analytics that we really tried as just a, let's see how it how it goes. Like it was an idea that we decided to run with and, and it wasn't fully baked when we first released it. There was a few pieces of data and now we've got a ton of data. So it's, it's listening to your customer and sort of anticipating what they might need and be willing to try and be willing to be wrong. For goodness sakes, that's the, that's the piece of um, if it doesn't work out, don't be so married to it that you won't let it go. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It also sounds like the, um, you know, I think there's sort of a, uh, there's a line between a pivot and like a restart. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, the pivot, I mean, if you think about the definition of pivot, it is one foot stays in place and the other foot swings around to a yeah. different yeah, spot. Yeah. So, um, you know, it sounds like at least your big pivot and presumably your smaller ones too, you know, you, you still had one foot firmly anchored in what you were doing, but we're trying some other things out around it. Right. And what we talked about, we used to talk about interactivity and engagement and how beautiful and polished and exciting a, a document can be. We used to lead with that. Hmm. And, and it got some traction. I mean, we, we had some great customers, but when we added the element of how can you know, what can you know using analytics, that was like the, the, other, the other leg of the stool, so to speak, or the other pillar that really brought everything together. It clicked for us, it clicked for our customers and it made the product um, even more unique and sticky. Um, so we had the, the first two for a while, but it, when you get that last, that last little piece that falls into the, the jigsaw puzzle and it all kind of clicks, um, that's a magical moment. Yeah. All right, let me uh, switch uh, to one last topic. So you've been a founder CEO now for almost a decade. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time uh and i know i like i've i've, I've been there i've been there as well um how important is it and how do you think about you know the fact that you're in a marathon you're not in a sprint um how important is kind of self-management or self-care to keeping yourself going and keeping yourself effective as a leader of your team and a visionary at work, um, sort of day in, day out after 10 years. Yeah, it's paramount. 
It really is. And I think I was no different than most founders, which I didn't listen to that. I didn't heed that advice. It's it's everywhere. You know, it's just everywhere. And it I is now. I'm not sure it was everywhere 10 years ago. That's true. That's true. But, you know, my motto was I can sleep when I'm dead and I can just, you know, work and I can finish this up. I'll work. I'll do the second shift and then I'll do the third shift and then I'll get up early. It just went on and on and on. And there's always one more thing. And um, and you it's not sustainable. Like you are human and it's not sustainable. So now, you know, there was there was periods of, um, you know, high blood pressure, just like health issues that your body's telling you this is not sustainable. Um, but now there's a, just a few simple things that I do that I wish I would have told my prior self, just get on the bandwagon and do them now. The first is um, planning for the next day with a, with a small, you know, what's, what's important, what I'm going to accomplish and setting some goals. Um, the second is uh, making sure that, that of the things that I'm going to do, what are the three that I'm going to absolutely get done? And it's only three. I used to have a list of 10 or 11 or 12. Just make sure that there's a, a small number that are the really important ones and get those done. Um, and the third thing is sleep. Like I really was kind of like an anti-sleeper before. Um, and there are studies now that show that uh, not sleeping is the equivalent of, you know, trying to function when you are under the influence of alcohol or, or drugs. And the clarity, um, the, the focus, um, and the productivity that comes when you have a decent amount of rest, like I'm not, you know, saying go crazy, but having consistent sleep is definitely a life hack that I didn't believe in before. And I'm here to tell the world that you should sleep more. Yeah, that is certainly true. More sleep and, and quite frankly, more exercise, which usually leads to better sleep and more sleep. Yes. Um, yeah. I always think of both of those as like, those are investments in your own productivity. And, you know, at some point, the marginal hour is better spent right. getting yourself more productive in the other hours than right. doing another hour right. of work. And interesting about the exercise, I've always been a, a huge exercise person. I, that was something that I would not forego, even if it meant I'm going to run the treadmill at 11, because that's the only time I have got. Yeah. Um, I noticed that the things that I like to do from an exercise standpoint changed. So now I love to do what's called aerial silks when you, you know, climb a silk fabric to a high point in the ceiling and then do a bunch of different wraps and then unfurl in a really cool way, like sort of Cirque du Soleil-esque, you know? Um, very, very Disney. Like I'm seeing yeah, it is very Disney. like yeah. an image of Rapunzel or something. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that, you know, compared to running and cycling and swimming and triathlons and things like that I did in the past, um, it's one of those activities where you have to be fully present. And I've talked to more and more right, entrepreneurs. Because it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. If yeah, it's life. Dangerous. Your life depends on it. Yeah. And I've found that more and more um, CEOs and entrepreneurs that I know say that they're, that they've found, you know, another, you know, physical activity or meditation where they practice being fully present. And that was a really big shift for me from a long run where, you know, that's a great time to ruminate about what's working and what's not. Yeah. Um, when you're about ready to do a double star drop, you are in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look, both of them, I don't think there's a right answer. Both of them can be good to clear your head. Uh, yeah. But they're, those are very, very different things. Yes. <laughs> All right, Sharice, it's been great talking to you. Same. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Daily Bolster in our first, uh, our first season here. And Sharice um, Hawkins, founder and CEO of PageDip and by her own definition, corporate escapee. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
This podcast is brought to you by Bolster, the new way to find the right executives. We supercharge startup growth by matching CEOs with transformational executives, mentors, and board members without the hassle of traditional talent sourcing. Start searching for free at bolster.com.